In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jacob is one of those Old Testament people who, even though he played a key role in God's purposes for the whole world, was also remarkably like ourselves. Not living in a spiritual stratosphere where we could never imagine ourselves, but living through the ordinary experiences of life. Like us, Jacob sometimes makes a go of things and sometimes makes a mess of things. What is so encouraging for us is that Jacob finds in the course of his life that unworthy of God though he may be, God is in all these varied experiences with him, making in the end a decisive difference. Our story in Genesis 28 tells how Jacob first found God as his own God. This was not the first time Jacob knew about God. He had grown up in a family where God was central to life. But up to this point he had known God precisely as the family's God. His father Isaac's God, his grandfather Abraham's God. This is why when God speaks to Jacob in his dream, God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, uh, your father, and the God of Isaac. But does so in order to tell Jacob that now he is also Jacob's God. At the beginning of the story, Jacob has, for the first time in his life, left the family home. In fact, he's fleeing for his life because his brother Esau is so angry with him. Jacob is uh, afraid that Esau might kill him. His mother, who helped him, uh, who helped to get Jacob into this predicament, has packed him off for his own safety on a very long journey to the home of her relatives 500 miles away as the crow flies. A daunting journey into a quite unknown future. For the first time in his life, Jacob is really on his own. So his relationship to God has to change if it's to be real for him now. Jacob, if he is to find himself apart from his family, if he is to find who he can now be in this newly uncertain world in which he is now alone, must also find God as his own God, God with him in this, new, in this new independence in which he must learn to be himself afresh. Not that Jacob thinks of this for himself. It's not Jacob who turns to God, but God who turns to Jacob. And it happens in a dream. No ordinary dream a dream that filled his mind when he awoke, gave him a new vision of his life and stayed with him for the rest of his life. We now know from scientific research that dreaming is vitally important for the way our brains work, but the ordinary function of dreams does not depend at all on us remembering them. So in fact we all forget almost all of our dreams. We may wake up with a bit of a dream 
fleetingly in our minds, but usually it's irrecoverable in a, it, it, within a few minutes. But then sometimes there's something about a dream that makes it stay with us. I'm sure you've had a few dreams like that. And those dreams perhaps can have, uh, can have something to tell us about ourselves. Maybe some deep feelings that we don't let ourselves acknowledge in waking consciousness come to the surface in that peculiar nocturnal world of the dream. Maybe God spoke to Jacob in a dream because it was the way that God could address what Jacob was as yet barely conscious of, his newfound aloneness and uncertainty, the newly open future that he had never had to face before. God not only spoke in the dream, but also gave Jacob a dream image, a picture with the kind of quality that most of us experience only in dreams. It was an image that could stay with Jacob and shape his imagination, an image of what God was now to be for Jacob in the rest of his life. The image that Jacob sees in his dream is probably not, as most of the translations have it, a ladder, but a staircase. We do not have to picture the angels on a ladder pushing past each other rather dangerously as some climb up and others down. The Hebrew word can just as well mean a stairway. Most likely Jacob saw a broad stone staircase running up the stepped side of one of those artificial mountains called ziggurats that the ancient people of Mesopotamia used to build. The gods were thought to live at the top of the cosmic mountain that touches heaven. So in order to worship them in a temple, the people of Mesopotamia would build a great mound and place the temple of the gods on the top of it so that the gods could dwell there too and the people could worship the gods by ascending the steps up the mound to its summit. If Jacob recognised this image, as he well might since his grandfather came from Mesopotamia, he would naturally look for God at the top of the stairway. But the remarkable thing about Jacob's dream is that God is not at the top of the stairway, but at the bottom. God is standing beside him. Jacob does not have to make the arduous ascent up the stairway to God, nor does he need to rely on the angels to put him in communication with God, acting as messengers. No. God himself has come down the staircase and stands looking down at Jacob, sleeping beside him. So when God speaks to Jacob, what are really the key words in what he has to say, I am with you, he means it. God is not remote in heaven, but down on earth with Jacob. And when 
Jacob wakes in wonder, the dream still filling his consciousness, and says, this is none other than the house of God. He means God's house, where God is to be found, is not only up in the heavens, but here on this very spot where he has been sleeping. So he sets up his stone pillar, uh, his stone, he sets up his stone pillow as a pillar to mark the location of God's house, and he calls it Bethel, which means God's house. But even this does not reach the deepest meaning of Jacob's dream. Only symbolically does the place remain a reminder of God's presence there. Really, God's presence is not localised in one place. The point of the dream is not so much that God is in that particular place, but that God is where Jacob is. And goes with Jacob wherever he goes. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God's message to Jacob is not for a man who's going to settle down at Bethel with a temple close at hand in which to worship God. God's message is for a man on a journey. From now on, every place where Jacob sleeps will be a Bethel. The leitmotif of Jacob's life from now on will, will be that God is with him. So Jacob finds that God is with him. It's probably the most important thing that anyone can discover. It will make all the difference to Jacob's life. It will be worth, I think, reflecting a little more on two aspects of the way that Jacob finds God, or God finds Jacob, at this juncture of his life. The first is that it happens when Jacob is near the beginning of a long, hazardous journey whose outcome he cannot be sure of. Like all travellers in those days, Jacob has no map. He knows where he's going, but he probably has only a vague idea of how to get there. He has to keep asking the way at every stage of his journey. Even more important, he does not know what will happen to him when and if he reaches his cousins several hundred miles away. A journey in space is always also, of course, a journey in time. What is now so uncertain for Jacob is the future. Facing this open and rather frightening future is a new situation for him. Jacob has always thought he can manage the future, be a success, making sure by swindling his brother that he can ensure the future will be just what he wants it to be. Now he faces a future he cannot control. The fact that journeys in space are always also journeys in time is the reason why people have often thought of life as a journey. Life is a journey for which we do not have a map, an unsettling situation to contemplate. We may find that exciting or paralyzing. 
one way of reacting is to think of the future as the wide open sphere in which we can make of ourselves and our lives whatever we choose. We can plan the future and achieve it. This is the ideology of modernity with its tremendous faith in our ability to achieve and to control. It has, a, it has an important element of truth, but it refuses to recognise the way our future is made at least as much by what happens to us beyond our control as by what we do ourselves. In fact, much of the joy of life comes not from what we achieve, but from what we are given, what comes to us with the unexpectedness and the undeserved delight of sheer gift. Another way we can react to being on a journey without a map is to give up the whole idea of travelling anywhere. The ideology of post-modernity denies that our lives can make sense as a story that moves from beginning to end. Life is just a series of fragments, a series of presents in which and with which we can play without thinking about the future. Life is transience but not journey. Nothing lasts and we are going nowhere. Jacob, finding God with him, finds that although the future is unknown, he has no map, two things are certain. One is that wherever he goes, God will be with him. And the second is that God will fulfill his promises to him. His future is not in his own hands, but in those of the living and loving God, who has now become Jacob's God. So Jacob's story invites us to see our own lives as a journey with God. But there's also a second aspect of Jacob's experience that we need to consider. Jacob, sleeping on his stone pillow, is alone. In one sense, this was not unusual for Jacob, because he was a shepherd. He must have spent a lot of time out in the fields with only his flocks for company. But at Bethel, Jacob is alone in a much stronger sense, suddenly bereft of all the relationships that had made up his life until now. Losing the security of the loving family environment that he, he, he had known all his life, Jacob has now no one to turn to. Does there have to be this aloneness which is not necessarily loneliness, for there to be a Bethel experience of God. The story points us to a very important aspect of discovering that God is with us. There is a kind of fundamental aloneness that each of us has, and that is part of what it means to be human. It's something always true of us. 
You do not have to be alone in the ordinary sense to be alone in this fundamental sense, though you may have to be alone as Jacob was in order to realise this fundamental truth of the human condition. The point is that even in the most intimate of human relationships, where people enter very deeply into each other's lives, there is still a degree in which who I am is inaccessible to you and who you are is inaccessible to me. That's the fundamental human aloneness, which even when we come closest to each other, we do not lose and cannot lose. Some people spoil their deepest relationships by trying to dissolve this fundamental aloneness. It cannot be done. Some people find this fundamental aloneness terrifying and spend their lives trying not to be aware of it. But that only produces a shell of a life with a hidden emptiness at its core. However, this solitary core of human being, though inaccessible to other humans, is not inaccessible to God. It's part of what it is for God to be God that he can be present in the innermost reality of each of his creatures where they cannot be present to each other. It is there in his inescapable aloneness that God promises to be with Jacob. For many people it is an experience of aloneness like Jacob's in an experience like that that they find themselves in the presence of God. The experience is one in which one, can, in which one cannot evade but has to face up to that fundamental aloneness that is a basic truth about being human. We may not be physically alone like Jacob, but something happens to expose that solitary core of our being. We suffer as some, uh, we realise, as someone put it, that there is no one who is always going to be there for me. Even in the best of families, the best of marriages, the best of friendships, in the end we must still recognise that there is no one who is always going to be there for me. In the transient relationships our contemporary society fosters, in the culture of not wanting to be committed, not wanting to be tied down, wanting always to be free to be on the move again, many people glimpse the fundamental aloneness of the human condition and take refuge from it in transience, living on the convivial surface of life. But if that aloneness becomes the Bethel where we find God with us, then the God we may have known only as Abraham's God, Isaac's God, becomes Jacob's God, my God, your God, the God who is with us as no one else can be. This may sound to you very individualistic. It is and it isn't. No one else's head can lie on Jacob's stone pillar while he dreams the dream we are trying to share. 
but the God each of us must come to know as our own God, not just the God of other people, is then also the God we share with other people. The God we find in our fundamental aloneness is also the God we then find in every experience, in every relationship, in all of the world that God has created and fills. Jacob was to find that too, later. When we find God as Jacob did at Bethel, we can stop trying to fill our inner emptiness with people and things instead of God, and we can start really loving people. Bethel was just the beginning of Jacob's journey. So far as we can tell, nothing has changed in Jacob's character. He's still the schemer who tricked his brother out of his birthright and blessing. He's still got to face up to the mess he has made of his family life. Later in the story Genesis tells, he will. But he could never have done so had he not first found God's sheer grace in promising to be with him. God does not say to him at Bethel, if you reform, I will be with you. Or, I will be with you as as long as you behave better than you have been behaving. God says simply, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Jacob has a long way to go, but from this Bethel onwards, God is in it with him, and that will make all the difference. Jesus promised his disciples a Bethel experience. He said, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus himself will be for his disciples the staircase linking heaven and earth. Not just the staircase on which they can ascend to heaven, but the staircase on which God has come down among us. Jesus is the incarnation of God with us. And to find Jesus is to find God with us in the midst of our lives. Amen.